welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bashong. There's cold weather on the horizon, and we wanted to put out a quick episode here to talk about cattle care and livestock care in general. And Josh, I don't know if you want to talk about how we take care of plants when it's cold. Is there a blanket you can throw on the wheat field that really takes care of that? Well, if you listen to the local news, you got to bring your plants inside at night. So <laughs> yeah. if you if can. They're, <laughs> if they're still alive. <laughs> uh, you only got a few hundred acres of wheat out there to protect. So Yeah. But Dana, you're you're focusing on the care of beef cows and right. and the challenges related to cold weather. And I don't get much enjoyment out of breaking ice or anything like that. So t- tell me what I have to do so I don't have to be out in it very much at all. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know what we can do about that, trend, <laughs> But there are things you got to do to kind of replace or add some extra energy to their diet nutritionally. Of course, that's what I focus on most of the time. So the best way to do that, uh, we have a really great tool. It's on the Mesonet. If you're not familiar, the Oklahoma Mesonet has what's called the Cattle Comfort Advisor. And I've just been looking at it this past weekend. So I know how to get to it. So you go on the main page and then you click on agriculture and it's on the left-hand side, the cattle comfort advisor. And so for every degree below freezing, uh, before below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Zero degrees Celsius. Yeah, I was just going to say I can't do the Celsius. So rely (laughs) on Trent to do this conversion. (laughs) So every degree below 32, if it's not wet you need to add about 1% more energy to the diet. A lot of times that equates to similar amounts of just 1% more of your supplement or feed that you're adding. Um, But that's a good key. Now, if it rains, snows, sleets, hails, anything that makes the cattle wet, that is a double requirement. So you need to, for every degree below 32, you double it. Is that clear? Yeah. So what if I don't do that? So you really could lose a lot of body conditions. So basically, so if we think about a cow, I used a good example in Cow Calf Corner for this morning in their email. If if a cow is getting, let's say, three pounds of a 20% supplement, she's a gestating cow right now, or just getting into kind of this colder weather, she's good above 32 degrees with that three pounds of supplement. If we stay at that level and don't increase about a pound of feed over the next week or so, she really will lose some body condition. And it will be hard to keep to catch that back up without some additional feed even after. I don't know when you're going to start calving, Trent, but some producers are calving soon. Yeah, I've been pushing my calving window into March. Okay. I got tired of all those winter storms in February. Right. No, I understand. But if some producers are moving into calving here pretty quick, that could be kind of a... A recipe for disaster. You've lost a lot of body condition score and then you're a lot of body condition and then we're moving into calving. Well, that's one of the benefits of feeding crop residues like Milo's. There's a lot of straw on the ground right now or stover or leftover hay when mm-hmm. they're fairly inefficient at eating that hay. So I guess we'll we'll have a little bit of ground cover. But that's something I've, I've thought about moving into this winter is we overgrazed a lot of our pastures coming out of a drought. So there's not a lot of natural cover for those cows to insulate themselves from. Right, right. And if it's not dry, if it's wet, they're just completely wet. It's a miserable situation. How is the consumption of liquid feed affected when it's that cold? Well, uh, this is not a scientific answer. Okay, but I would think that they're not as thirsty. Okay, they're not going to drink as much. I mean, I don't know about you, but do you like to slurp on a slushy when it's 20 degrees outside with a five degree wind chill. So I wonder if we can add some cayenne pepper to their 
clear hay and, and then maybe they'll be more interested in drinking. <laughs> I don't know. This keep is up, no keep up their hydration that way. No science. I I mean there are a lot of guys feeding liquid he, liquid feed right now. Um well, I've moved to that program uh, against your better judgment. Oh, but, that's okay. But that is something to think about because even in the summertime that liquid feed's pretty thick. Mm -hmm. So I mean when you get down to what we're talking about getting below zero and or close to that uh, that's going to be pretty thick when it comes to molasses and consuming that product. Right. That's a good point. Would a salt block pushing towards it? Potentially. So, yeah, placement would be good. But if the wheel isn't moving, I don't know how you're feeding that. If yeah, the wheel, if they can't move the wheel, I mean, you got to make sure that they can still get something out of that. And so if it gets really cold and it gets really thick or it freezes altogether, that's a problem. So don't just assume that they're getting something out of that, that that's your supplement. But I wouldn't rely on that totally. I was considering just dumping cubes when mm -hmm. it's really cold to make sure I know what's going on. But right. I don't know. That's off topic a little bit. No, no, it's good. <laughs> well, I mean, so so when you talk about cubes, dumping cubes, it looks like, based on my calculations, if you're feeding, like I said, a three, three pounds of a 20 to kind of just boost your lower quality prairie, prairie hay, you'll need about four pounds. Let's just root three, three and three quarters or four pounds of that supplement to really get them through this weather. Start a little early, start now, and and continue a few days after. I know prices are high, but... Is that for like a 5 or 6% hay? Or? That's a 6% hay. Yep, 6% prairie hay. Yeah, so I mean, that's another thing we talk about how important it is to test your hay. I mean, we know that nitrogen was expensive this past year, and there wasn't as much nitrogen that went out. So I know that my Bermuda tested 6%, and my prairie hay tested 5 to 5.5%. And that was a 50 pounds of nitrogen. So right. I don't know why the why the protein was so low, but it was, and it wasn't something I was expecting. So if I wouldn't have tested, I probably wouldn't have known. And, right. then, and then these are the times where when you're feeding lower quality hay or hay that you don't know the nutrient value of, you can get into some trouble there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they they need a little bit of they need the protein, they need the extra energy, they need they need all those things really to digest some of this lower quality hay that we have out there. I would say some of this Milo and um, uh, sorghum sedan that we've seen that's pretty. Good the best hay that we have out there. And I know we've discussed that in a recent episode, but um, like you said, it'll provide some cover, but it's also um, been one, some of the better hay that we've been able yeah. to use. Yeah. My Milo tested somewhere in that 10% range. And I had some leftover oat hay from the year prior that had tested nine to 10%. So I've already started feeding that hay versus some of my lower quality, <clears throat> trying to trying to ramp them up and get them ready for what's about to come. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of starch too in that Milo. I've just noticed. I don't know if that's going to affect the energy like you talked about, but when there's grain in that hay bale, uh, it definitely attracts blackbirds. I know that. <laughs> anytime I bring like a grass bale, the right. birds are all sitting in the trees around the bale when I get there and they're a little upset whenever they, they don't get their Milo. Well, like anything, there's a lot less natural feed out there for a lot of animals. Mm -hmm. So we can see that. Josh, for those producers, I've just thought about this, that are thinking, oh, maybe this spring I'll have a little wheat pasture. Yeah. What is this cold going to do to our wheat and, and the growth of that? Yeah, our wheat's been kind of slow out the gate for a lot of guys. We've had some growth. Some of it's getting at least two tillers on there, which I like to see before we go dormant. Some's a little thinner. Uh, I'd say most guys have a decent stand. We have a chance to have some pasture in the spring, but... We just don't have a lot of size right now, so we don't have a lot of root mass underneath it either. So we're not going to be out the gate quick in the spring either unless we start to have an open open winter. But 
just like this fall, the outlet doesn't look too too great. So. Yeah, I don't think it's exactly the best to just assume that you're going to have some wheat pasture. Though there's some spots I've heard yeah. that have a little bit, but that that's going to be that's going to struggle, especially if we're in below normal temperatures going forward. I think. And I know some guys we got kind of drug on wheat sowing this year, so we do have some open fields. I think probably going to be pretty heavy with the oats again this spring. So that'd yeah. be another option for some guys for some quick grazing or a quick hay. Yeah, we have a good episode about that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to link to that. So what kind of cultural things can we do when it comes to helping our cows out? Can we move our feed sources around or how much does wind affect cows when it comes to being cold? Right. So like I said, basically generally their requirements for feed double when it's wet. And so the biggest thing we can do is get them out of the wind. Now you said in the past that maybe putting up uh, artificial <laughs> windbreaks <laughs> uh. don't really work or they it's like the cows haven't become accustomed to them and I can see that so it just depends on your situation but probably feeding in a sheltered area probably is the best if you have something like that but there are some people that just have open pastures and cows will do fine as long as they're dry but the wet obviously we're not going to get them out of the wet rain um, but you know giving them a break from the wind is probably important yeah, I hate to be a cynic, but I mean, I've, I've set up artificial windbreaks using hay bales and things like mm-hmm. that in the past. And unless you're pinning them up, right? I haven't had much luck in them using that. So I think that's more of a makes me feel better about them being out there versus yeah. versus themselves. I mean, like you said, they tend to turn their tails to the wind and, and they'll be in places you don't expect. But I think wind currents are also unpredictable, too. So, I mean, the, the cows have a pretty good job of figuring out where they can be the safest in those pastures. Right. And I don't think the best thing is to lock, like lock them up in a like maybe you have some shelters or some sheds or something that can be kind of a, a poor situation, too. They all get together. They're wet. They're they it's the humidity you know, with all the cattle together, mud, lots of defecation, urination. And so it can be kind of a, a situation where if they're, if they're there for a while, it can cause some sickness, especially if you have calves and stuff. So it's better probably to just let them bear the elephants, do what you can, provide enough dry hay, you know, daily. That's one thing. That's another thing. Maybe feed every day versus alternate day feeding that we typically do. You mentioned calving. So if I if I was in the middle of calving, what are some things I could do to prepare myself? Like if I have a calf when it's cold. Right. You've got to have your calving kit. And we've talked about that in the past. Have that ready. But the best thing, too, also is pre- be prepared to have to pick up some calves, put them in the pickup for a while, warm them up. Be prepared to have to take a calf and warm it up maybe in, in a bathtub or something like that. Of course, we don't want to do that. If we don't have to, we don't want to separate the mother. But be prepared for those types of things um, because ca- calves in a wet situation and they're born wet and then it's extremely cold or it's raining, that can be a situation for lots of calf deaths because they just can't warm up or get dried off. That's, yeah. a, that's a simple answer, Trent, but you know, review what you've got. I mean, get your calving kit together and be prepared to warm calves. I mean, you can do a lot for a calf on the floor of a pickup with a dry towel and you don't even have to move away from the mother. So that's, that's really good advice, but I don't know, are we expected to have much moisture over the next couple of weeks? There's a chance of snow early on more Northeast, I believe. Okay. Uh, but I don't, you know, it's, it's one of those deals, whatever falls will probably stick around for a long time. Right. Because it's, but I don't think we're expected to have a lot of uh, wet moisture. Okay. But 
I was thinking about like warming calves. Like you said, if, if they're in high, if they're hypothermic and next to death, warming them up is important. But you know, like people separating calves from their mothers with heat lamps or things like that, probably you know that's well, not going to be, not, yeah. be a successful endeavor. But you can do a lot with a four by four pin in a machine shed. Just getting the mother and the calf out right. of the wind, out of the weather together, where they don't have mm-hmm. to chase each other around, and and try to just make if you if you have room for those those types of areas, but artificial heating and things like that in the past I, again it makes me feel better but i don't think right <laughs> it ends up really helping them that much yeah if you can get those that herd that you think is going to calve if you can get them closer so that you can do something with them i mean that's definitely i was thinking about way out on pasture and that sort of thing you know where there's no ability to get uh, you know yeah, out part, of the wind yeah further west to go ends up being a situation about natural cover too if there's canyons to get into right and cedar trees to hide behind that's one good thing about cedars pretty <laughs> right good windbreak <laughs> that's so, true so you can throw a hay bale behind a cedar tree a group of cedar trees and feed your cattle there for a few days that probably wouldn't be too bad of a situation yeah but i think that's a great idea i know a lot of ranchers earlier this fall were talking about having straw around to un unroll in situations like this because of the fact that we had less natural cover they were thinking about making artificial places for calves to lay and that's Mm -hmm. that's one thing you will see if there's hay on the ground cows and calves will flock to that whether it's where you fed a hay ring previously or you're intentionally unrolling that hay out or that straw out they will flock to that so that natural insulation barrier to the frozen ground is is incredibly important to them when they're trying to rest yeah most cows are very smart I mean, they're going to find that, like you said, the wind currents, Mm. the places to put their calves. But I hope a lot of producers probably aren't quite at that stage. There's some that are, but I hope I hope most people probably haven't started calving yet. But it's just something to prepare for. Um, I was hoping we'd get this out beforehand and Mm -hmm. hopefully we will. And um, so producers can be ready. The one thing nutritionally I want to, you know, just add before we're done Try not to feed so much more than you typically do to, to cause digestive upset. So if you're going to double the feed, be careful, like the total amount per head isn't much more than eight to 10 pounds per head, you know, those types of things. We need to spread out feeding a little bit if we're going to amp it up, you know, um, just because we don't want to cause any other extra stressors on those cows. If we're, if we're typically feeding 20s, would this be a time to switch to 14s for that extra energy? Or Yeah, you can do that. If you have that capability, um, it's not going to hurt. Uh, it has some extra energy. Of course, you still need the same amount of protein. Um, it will have more energy in it, though. So you'll be feeding more pounds. But a lot of producers, I think, just have what they have mm-hmm. right now. If you are feeding a 38, it might be best to find some maybe um, better quality hay to feed with that 38 just for some extra energy. Yeah. And if you go to like a DDG, it's usually like a 30% protein, 10% fat product. Right. So that's kind of increasing both if you were on a 20. Right. Absolutely. So like you said, uh, that'd probably be one of the biggest shocks to their system digestively would be going from a DDG to back to a regular 20% protein or, or yeah. vice versa. You know, you got that sunflower base, sunflower oil base mm-hmm. versus, you know, the, the DDG. But okay, so we get to water. How often do I have to break ice? Well, Trent, you're not going to like my answer. You should break it morning and night. I mean, if it's that cold, you should be, you know, giving them the opportunity to get a drink twice a day. They won't drink a lot because it's cold and ice cold water. I can't imagine just drinking ice cold water when it's that cold outside. Yeah, we've never done that. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, it would be best to do that um, daily at least and make sure that you they know it's there. You know, I mean, if they're a mile away at the other end of the pasture, they may not know the ice has been broken. So 
it depends on if you're using a tank or or a, just a natural pond, um, which a lot of those, man, if you've got water in a pond still, it might not be much. I don't know if, if that's a good assumption. That's one good. That's one good positive thing. I mean, with the ponds being so low, if cattle venture out on them and they fall through, they won't be very deep. Oh my goodness! I hope we don't get to that. I hope at least we're I, we're not expected to get too cold. No. Um, but yeah, but the guys that usually break them with their front end loaders on their tractor, they're going to be going through more mud to get to it. So yeah, and be very careful. With make that. sure you know someone knows oh where gosh. you are if you do get stuck. Do people do that? Oh yeah, I've never I've seen done tractors fall in the ponds. Oh my gosh, guys. Okay. Well, from a safety standpoint, if you have mobility troubles, getting out on ice and cutting ice with an axe is difficult. That's it is why, difficult. That's yes. why you see people use equipment to do it. Right. But you can also get yourself into trouble there as well. Right. I mean, you just right. got to be smart about it. And when it comes to natural water sources, that's something that back in February of 21, we had that really bad period of cold weather. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand my cows very much because I would break ice and they once a day and they wouldn't come drink. And that's something where I learned that, you know, the natural springs or areas where ice is thin, the cows were breaking it and drinking, and then it was refreezing, and I never knew it. Okay. So it's it's kind of frustrating, you know, in that standpoint. If you have a, a tank and a small pasture, and that's the only water they have, yeah, they'll show up and drink. That's, mm-hmm. that's no problem. But if you have a natural water source, sometimes you can drive yourself crazy because you'll get out there and you'll you'll cut through six inches of ice or whatever and, and let your try to get your cows to come drink and they'll look at you and then be like, where's the food? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, again, they are smart. So <laughs> I say, you know, do what you can. No. Um, if they're not drinking, they'll probably be fine. But no. Nobody thirsts to death during that time. So I always figured, you know, the cows will tell you. If, if right. you're breaking ice and they see you doing it, they will show up to drink if they're thirsty. Right. But don't sit out there and freeze yourself. If they're not coming to drink, they're not going to. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's, right. It's one of those deals. Mm-hmm. And we've said it before, if they got any kind of winter grass out there, that has some moisture content to it as well. Like wheat. Wheat, wheat pasture and that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I had that very question the other day. It just turned some calves out and the calves were not drinking anything. Yeah. And it was like they were hauling water. And I said, well, they've only been out there a couple of days and they're probably tanking up on that wheat pasture. <laughs> it was an irrigated, I think, oh, yeah. quarter. That's so. one good thing about my Milo is it's uh, it has so much dust in it. It's almost ridiculous because I bailed it when it was incredibly dry. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes them more thirsty. Okay. Well, maybe that's, yeah. that, maybe that's a that'll, method. That'll method. help. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. But, it, was, it was said here. There we go. <laughs> she talked about digestive changes, you know, when they go on, on that Milo, it definitely messes with them uh, going back and forth. You definitely see that in their feces, uh, how, how their body is adjusting to that. But what about other livestock? So like goats and sheep and... No, I wanted you to talk about chickens. Chickens. <laughs> Really? <laughs> oh, chickens. Okay. Can we can talk, talk about chickens. I mean, you know, okay, guys. So chickens, you don't necessarily have to provide artificial heat for chickens. They will be okay. Well, the big thing I'm thinking of is with our smaller animals, they tend to be confined. Right. So what are absolutely. Some to think about. Yeah. Make sure that they, if they are confined, make sure they do have a place to go to be out of the wind make sure the shelter that you provided is actually a shelter and not just like a screen where the wind blows through um water of course you gotta you've just got to provide them water unless you have it you know heater or something in that in that small water source again artificial heat to me can do more harm than good it gets them accustomed to being warm and so when they're actually cold or if we have electricity go out you know god forbid then you can't provide that artificial heat source and and they're not used to dealing with that heat so um 
that's kind of my opinion on artificial heat. Um, because, I mean, they're animals. They've become used to being, let's be honest, this Oklahoma cold isn't as cold. There's lots of, there's chickens, there's goats, there's lots of things in Montana, in Canada, you know, and- yeah, Cows living in the Grand Tetons. Yeah. Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so yes, we want, to, they are used to that, but I think our, our animals are probably more accustomed to the cold than we give them credit for. So yeah, small ruminants, I mean, especially, you know, goats and sheep, if you're lambing or, or kidding in a time like this, you definitely have to have some shelter for them with, even if they're not in that, in that stage of production. So shelter is important. I think watching, you know, keeping an eye on them, whether it's your cows or your goats or sheep, keeping an eye on them daily and making sure that water is in fact being melted with that, um, the ice is being melted with that, that heater. That's important. What am I leaving out? It's just how you, how common you sense. taking care of your bees, Trent? Bees? Yeah. Oh, oh I'm not. They're, uh, they're out there. They flew yeah. the coop, huh? No, they're there. Oh, they're there. Okay. They're just really slow, uh, right? <laughs> they cluster up and... Yeah, hopefully they have plenty of feed. You will have hive losses during this time of year um, whenever things get really cold. We tend to like to leave them ventilated for the same thing you talk about with humidity. You know, disease is a bigger killer than cold. So you don't, you know, we tend to leave our screened bottom boards open, trying to let air circulate because mm -hmm. those bees cluster together and they create enough heat to keep the queen warm. It's kind of like penguins in Antarctica. You know, there's a big circle around <laughs> around the middle and that queen's in the middle. And, yeah. And they'll lose lose bees on the outside as they rotate around. But you know, you're just trying to get through the winter with that queen alive. So, you know, you can you can wrap hives uh, with insulation, but that's usually typically where they have snowpack. You know, and they it's just we don't get that cold here. If you can provide wind breaks, that is important. You know, and again, if you can if you can stop wind, you can stop a lot of problems, and that goes for every animal, I think. Right. Yeah. But when it comes to confined animals, uh, heated buckets tend to be pretty good option. But with everything, you have to be incredibly concerned about fire. I mean, right. whether a horse chews on an electrical cord when you're not there because she's bored and she doesn't normally get stalled, or if you've got, you know, like with chickens, heated water source is probably one of the best things in my opinion, because I mean, if you have a pan of frozen water, your chickens aren't gonna do much with that. Right. You can't, you don't have a very big vessel anyway, so it's not mm -hmm. gonna stay liquid very long, but. Like those stupid heat lamps. I mean, you're using them in well houses and things where there's not much flammable in there, but you take a heat lamp into a barn where you're storing 100 bales of square bales of hay, and then you also got bedding for your animals and things. Just just don't. Yeah, yeah, it is, <laughs> it is pretty scary. Because that's the last thing you want to do is burn down your barn for a week of cold weather. You know, it's just, just be careful. That's always my concern. You know, they're, they're warmer than you think. Right. <laughs> And, and those little milk house heaters and things like that are a problem too. Anytime you have exposed coils that are getting red hot and you've got particles in the air, hay and everything like that, it's incredibly dangerous. But I'm no fireman, so no. I think I think that's I think that's a very good point. I, I mean, let's just all be safe. Common sense. I mean, in cold weather goes a long ways. So. All right. Well. If you have any other questions on cold weather, be sure to call Dana, Josh, and I don't know much. Uh, oh gosh, we just tend to <laughs> we tend to have our anecdotal evidence, and Dana has the research. But uh, nutritionally, do what you can, and we'll get through this. It's not supposed to be nearly as long as it was in the past or, or past events that we've seen. So, with that, we will catch you next time. <laughs>